Welcome back to Operator Syndrome. I'm Patrick. This is Steve. And we're going to go a third episode talking about uh, talking about the book uh, Code Over Country and just kind of in general uh, topics related to it. Uh, Steve, you had uh, you had something you wanted to bring up. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so what, what you know, we're trying to uh, try to peel back why why it is that um, that our elite fighters get into these um, compromised kind of positions where they're they're as guilty of of some of the atrocities as the enemy is um that's troubling to me because i care about my my former community and uh care about the larger american military in general that we uh, uh that we have standards that we we maintain humanitarian values as a whole and uh nobody in my humble universe uh nobody's um above those rules that we it it applies to all of us from the commander-in-chief on down to the most junior private Um, and if if we ever break from that then we're really in trouble because then it's just a you know we've lost our moral bearing our compass whatever you want to call it and and anything goes and and it what applies to me ought to apply to everybody up the chain of command. I don't care how high it goes. I don't care how much money somebody has or how cool they are. It, so it, it's personal. It gets personal. And um, so I thought I would start off by um, identifying one of the things that's come out of this book, Code Over Country, very well-researched book. Um, like I said in previous podcasts, it's, it's heartbreaking for me because I see some of my community doing stuff that I, I just wish... It uh, didn't have to happen, but um, I'd like to start off by by quoting a movie, a war movie that I love, uh, Apocalypse Now. And uh, I think there's there, there if you listen to the dialogue of of um, Martin Sheen, who who is this captain, special forces captain that's going up this river to basically assassinate or or, or eliminate. Uh, a one of our own, uh, a Green Beret who's gone off the rails, Marlon Brando, Colonel Kurtz. He, he, he his, uh, his dialogue on that river is is profound at times, and um, so one of the one of the statements he makes uh, as he's he's reading the dossier going up the river to to realize he's he's going to have to try to assassinate one of our own. And he says this, uh, charging a man with murder in Vietnam is like writing speeding tickets at the Indy 500. And and I thought, man, that opens up a world of the difficulty of insurgencies, right? And one one of the problems I've identified both in numerous sources now, not just code over country, is that one of the problems with... um, with fighting an insurgent war is that two things primarily number one that civilians and fighters can't always be distinguished they're not necessarily wearing and hardly ever are wearing uh, unit identifying patches they're not wearing uh traditional uh, you know uniforms where, where you know okay you're now in in vietnam it wasn't quite as you had the North Vietnamese army, the NVAs, and they were re- wearing North Vietnamese ar- army uniforms most of the time, 
But then you had the Viet Cong, which were insurgents in South Vietnam who were fighting. And so, uh, you know, just talking to my buddy, Mike, uh, he, he shot, he they were clearing uh, a hooch one time. They were searching for a target and he, all he sees is a black flash run. Like the, the hooches he said were made of this thatch and you could literally run through a wall and he saw a black, you know, a lot of times the Viet Cong wore just black clothing. Um, he saw a figure with 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 a weapon run right through this wall, and he had a hit a stoner. It's kind of like our our modern saw weapons, the squad automatic weapons. And he turned and just let it rip. Um, and he got outside. Actually, after they secured the hooch, he got outside, and it was it was a female carrying an AK forty seven. And she was clearly a combatant. And he said, man, that war on him for years. It just messed with his head. He's like this beautiful Vietnamese girl just laying there. Um, and, you know, but, but so you get into this whole thing where to distinguish, A, one of the problems is to distinguish a civilian from a fighter. And then secondly, the, at least... Uh, ISIS fighters, Al Qaeda fighters that I've heard about, I, I didn't directly engage any of these fighters. We're, they don't play by the rules of, of armed conflict, like the, the rules of engagement that we all have to play by. All, you know, all the forces that are NATO forces and Geneva Convention subscribing forces. So they, they can do anything they want. And um, no matter how brutal, ugly, target civilians, um, mutilate bodies. And, and so this, this leads to another problem where it gets really personal. And uh, with Neil Roberts, who was a dev group operator who fell out of a helo, it was a bad situation. They got shot by an RPG and landed on a mountaintop. Um, they're, they're, they realized that that the uh, the fighters that that were that killed Roberts were trying to behead him. They didn't actually do it. Whether the knife was dull, I don't know. It's kind of it's harder than you think to cut off a human head. But anyway, it didn't happen. But it was he was mutilated to a degree, and that led to such just absolute base anger. And rightly so. And here's where I get into the sympathy, the empathy side. I understand that my brother, who's going to have my back, if I see what I think is a barbaric treatment, I want to just say, all right, two can play at that game. You want to be barbaric? We'll, we'll just up the ante. We'll show you barbarianism. Okay, so in the book... Um, uh, here, I just want to read a couple quotes and then I'll kick it to Patrick to see if he has follow-ups. But um, So from the book, it says, one of the former SEAL Team 6 leaders who investigated several squadron incidents, including the mutilation of bodies, said he repeatedly asked the operators why they felt the need to commit such acts. Often we'd hear, well, they're savages. The former non-commissioned officer said, they don't play by the rules. Why should we? So I guess that's my um, that's my leading question. So why should we? And it, it uh, in my humble opinion that the answer to that is because 
a counter question would be what separates us from the savages if if we plot if we if we start playing by those same rules without without a with 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 abandon like no concern then then why are they bad and what makes us good and when i say bad and good i'm not using that as a dualistic category to say we're better on a human level i'm just saying our actions are what are what would have to be better uh than others so that's a big one and i I think that's a really complicated one honestly because it's easy for us to sit back in our comfortable homes and go yeah those guys man they're really going over the line but man they're they're dealing with some serious serious stress um the likes of which i will not know so i kind of feel bad almost you know having to bring up these concerns because i yeah uh i um i think you're right to be concerned i think that um i mean and and this was this was a lot of the the controversy around um uh chief gallagher right it was a lot of the folks a lot of the folks 99 percent of them who weren't there at all but rushing to his defense was said that um you know said exactly that like well that's that's how they that's how they are that's how the enemy fights so why should we do any different you know why should we why should we constrain how how our how our boys can can fight and um you know uh, again i i i didn't i don't know chief gallagher i i only i only see what i read um and i've heard his story you know when he's come out in some podcasts so um, you know, but in general, in, in general, in my opinion, you know, when I came, I came in after 9-11, the wars had been going on for a few years. It was 2005 when I enlisted. And for me, you know, I think that part of it might also be the shock of it. So those, those folks who, who, were, who were on that mountain or those folks who experienced those first few years of war when we were often you know, as a society shocked by the brutality of our enemy at the time, you know, by the time I went in, I, I, I knew perfectly well that if I ever got captured, my head was coming off. Mm-hmm. Like that, that wasn't in question, you know, yeah. surrendering the idea of being able to surrender and yeah. being, you know, uh, handcuffed and sent off to, you know, uh, a, a prisoner of war camp, a la the great escape, and to be able to pull hijinks, you know, for the duration of the war, that was never an option for me. Right. Um, and, and, and so, you know, I, I can honestly say, though, the idea of mutilating an enemy body has never come close to crossing my mind. Yeah. I did five deployments, three to Afghanistan, two to Iraq. I saw terrible things it never once crossed my mind to mutilate a body mm-hmm. again going back to just the just just to the, like where does some, when you're on target where do you have when do you have time to meet like there's nothing better you can be doing like i always picture from the perspective of a leader 
if I if one of my guys was mutilating, there's nothing better that guy can be doing. There's something that that person should be doing at that moment. Right. And and even even forget the how sick it would be, how sick the sickness, the mental illness that must come, the derangement that must come from wanting to mutilate a body for sport. Um, yeah. Like there's just the, the the practical side of what are you supposed to be doing right now? You should be searching this place. You should be pulling security. You should be, you know, reinforcing. You should be doing something at that moment, and and that's far. That's far. That that crosses a line that just doesn't make sense to me. And and this excuse that, you know, well, you got to let the seals, you got to let the seals eat, you got to let them off the chain. That's insane to me. Like the seals can do that, the rangers can do that, the green berets can do that, without needing to mutilate bodies. Yeah. Um, that's 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 just one of those things where there is no gray area to me. There's just no practical use. It doesn't scare the enemy, right? right. Because because the same folks who say, who 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 might justify it as, well, you know, we're trying to put the fear back into, it, they're used to it. That's yeah, the yeah. whole point, yeah. right? Like that. Those type of actions are common over yeah. there. So you you it's really for them. It's kind of just like table stakes. Yeah, so, yeah. so, so you, you, and to your point, you're kind of, you're sort of feeding back into. You're almost valid. You're almost validating it for the enemy. Like, okay, this is what we do. Oh yeah, now we got the Americans doing this, but that's that's that part. And, yeah, that's right. Oh, sorry. Well, well, then the then the only other thing I was gonna say was, um, no, I can't remember. No, you go ahead. <laughs> Uh, it happens to me every five seconds. Well, yeah, that's that's exactly right. Um, I, you know, I'm a professor. is one of my day jobs. Um, and and my my dissertation analysis was a study of fundamentalist cultures, um, religious fundamentalist cultures. And and they're and every world religion has those. It's not nobody's got a lock on it. Um, and one of the things I always found fascinating, feeding into my my much repeated quip that all truth is paradox is that um, the, 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 the super fundamentalist, the super like Uber, we are the saved, everybody else is going to hell. Um, they need atheists to support their cause. They need militant atheists to support their cause because if they don't have the other to demonize, then... Um, they they can't marshal any evidence so they they need some foaming at the mouth extreme opposite but it, it and so going going back to what you're saying yeah it, it's it all the brutality usually backfires when we try to play at their games we we only end up do doing their bidding but not affecting them at all like you say they're 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 zealots they're going to do this I, I'm personally offended. I, yeah. I, I'm I'm personally offended. <laughs> I'm I'm offended when when people say things like, going back to, well, you got, oh, you know, you got to let them do that. That's you know, like, what do you expect from, you know, the Army Rangers are going to do that. They're tough. You know, the SEALs are tough. They're going to. It's like, no, no. Yeah, it's yeah. A, it's offensive that 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 you know you're essentially saying that we we are the same as you yeah know, that, that we yeah. are no better 
It's like, well, what do you expect? They're sealed. They are trained to do that. Like nobody is trained to cut off ears. No, nobody is trained to attempt to to sever a head. Um, the the point I wanted to make though was that was that, um, and again, this is not a special operations problem only. Uh, there are there were multiple conventional um, units that got in trouble for mutilating bodies, desecrating corpses. Um, you know, I, I, I believe, I think it was, well, I don't know the exact unit, so I'm not just going to call out units, but there was an army unit, I think, that were collecting body parts. And I believe there was, uh, there was definitely a Marine unit that was urinating on the corpses of, of their enemy. And, and I get, I you know, I can understand where those feelings come from, mm-hmm. you know, and I, especially when you're talking about young, young guys, yeah. you know, you know, especially, you know, especially, you know, it's at the heat of the moment and you're upset and you're, and you're angry yeah. and, and, and maybe these guys, you know, hurt or were, or, or killed, you know, a, a, a buddy of yours, but, um, you know, that's where leadership is supposed to step in. That's where someone is supposed to have a clear head in mind and stop those things because, um, you know, we got to be better than that yeah. and we can be, and it's not that hard to not urinate on. Again, there's nothing better. Like, again, I think back, I'm a, I'm a team. I'm, you know, if I think back to the days as a team leader, it's like, there's nothing else better. You know, if I see my guy starting to get riled up and they're like, Hey, let's piss on these dudes we just killed. I'd be like, Hey, you know what? Let's put a pin in that. Like, let's establish security because we just got in contact. Let's make sure right. that we're safe. Like, hey, can someone go through these dudes and see if we can get any intelligence? Like, yeah. there, there are things you can do. And, 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 you know, tying back to the book, I think that that's where, like, leadership is sorely lacking. You know, that type of, that type of leadership to understand, to understand, but, but to, to um, you know, funnel those type of emo- control and funnel those types of emotions into something more productive. That's that's not anything I see, you know, mentioned in that book. That seems something that's severely lacking. Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping that Couch's book will get into that. Um, he he's going there, and I'm only in the first chapter. Um, he's going to these leadership, these essential leadership, both NCO level and junior to senior leadership issues. So I hope he's got something to say there, and in, in, uh, in days to come. But yeah, that, it, yeah, it's 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 a really good point. Like, what in the hell? You know, what are we? Yeah, I mean, and the and the problem in in code over country is that it's the leadership that is is not only enabling it, but they're participating in it. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And not not to say that 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 senior leadership squeaky clean on the army side because that's definitely not true. But in these specific cases, because it's a book written about, you know, mm-hmm. the yeah. SEAL teams, um, what, what is a glaring problem? And, and the author writes to make that point, which is that, um, you know, the bad, the bad apples in leadership continue on in leadership and they mm-hmm. continue to let that that. So so why would you expect it to get cleaned up you right. know, anywhere along the way? One of the one of the other big takeaways i had from this book uh on page 175 uh he he writes um violence creates its own parallel universe 
I thought that was really wise. Uh, I mean, he's just looking at how things play out. Uh, when I, I don't know if I told the story already on this podcast. I hope I haven't. Was in, uh, I was in uh, second phase of SEAL training and um, a bunch of Vietnam SEALs came out to the beach to have a, a cookout and they were drinking beers. And um, these are older SEALs, Vietnam era SEALs, and they were having a class reunion party and um we're we're there you know field day in our rooms getting ready for inspection and it was a weekend so was, i think it was a saturday and they're like hey you guys come over here and help us and we're like who ya? they they looked like they knew what was going on and they knew who we were so we were like we didn't ask questions and they were there were these old they were from seal class 49 we were 149 and uh one of the guys was a congressional medal of honor winner Mike Thornton, um, I mean, we read his citation on quarterdeck watch to try to stay awake many a many a long night. Um, and um, he said, hey, help, help me grab this case of beer here. And they were just going to have grilled steaks and have beers and whatever, have their reunion. And uh, I, he, he reaches out his hand. He said, thanks, trainee. Mike Thornton, nice to meet you. And I was like, Mike Thornton? I, I'm the Mike Thornton? I was like, I couldn't believe it. Well, there's this other guy. And, and so they, we helped them unload all their stuff. And um, so there was this other guy who was just really soft-spoken kind of, but he was one of the members of class 49. He, he, he motioned to me. He said, Hey, how's it going? What's your name? You know, where? And I'm like, Oh, I'm me. And I'm want to be a seal and I'm second phase and who ya? And he was a chaplain. He he was he was a SEAL who had become a Navy chaplain. As far as I know, I've only known two people who were former SEALs who became chaplains. That guy, and I don't even know his name. I've got to try to find him. Yeah, you do. I've really got to find him. And then myself, you know, I came back as a chaplain. And I was the only chaplain, former SEAL chaplain in the Navy at the time. And I remember thinking back then i'm like why in the heck would you become a chaplain i mean you're a seal dude and he was like well you learn lessons in life and um not everything's like you see it when you're 19 20 years old and uh i remember him him telling me something he 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 just, he just it was just me and him and i was like that's mike thornton over there i just shook hands with mike thornton and he he looked at me and he said um yeah, I, I fought with Mike in Vietnam. He, he's, he's a badass. Yep. He said, but I just want to tell you something. And, and I don't, I think, I don't, I don't know where Mike came into, but he said, um, be careful to preserve the goodness inside of you. He said, cause I've seen, I've seen guys get so into killing that they lost their own soul in the process. And uh, I, I remember, man, I've never forgotten those words. And I thought, man, that's pretty heavy. And I could tell. I mean, I wanted to be a seal worse than anything in the world. But he's like, I'm telling you, watch it. Keep it in check. Keep your humanity. Keep your soul, your spirituality, your goodness, basically, is what he's saying. Keep it in check because you can, you can go to a dark side where it's, it's a world of hurt. So, I, you know, back, just circling back on that, violence creates its own parallel universe. And I think part, maybe, you know, maybe my last thought on that line would be, 
you know, we live in such a culture. We love our movies like, go ahead, make my day. You know, I'll blow your head off, you know. But, you know, yeah, that's, that, that's kind of cool. It's kind of, all right, yeah, we're cool. We're badass. But we're still human beings. And uh, we have to process that. And we have to live with that. And um, I don't think it's so good all the time, but, you know, I don't know. I, I, yeah, you know, I got a couple of thoughts. The first one was, the first one I was thinking of was just how, how much gray area there is in combat, for sure. Um, you know, there there are a lot of there are a lot of decisions made and things you have to do in the moment and that that you can question for a long time, you know. Um and and I've seen dudes who I've seen dudes who, who had to make some judgment calls that I'm pretty sure, you know, sitting here to if they were sitting here, they probably regretted it. Um and uh and and that's the way war is that's the way combat is um most of it is gray and so you know one thing i i want to make sure we definitely don't do is discount you know to say it's not just like the 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 battle between you know the enemy and, and us is not is not clear right one is righteous and one is evil Right. It's never that clear. It, it's all. It also goes to the, the decisions that you have to make, right? And and folks, you're you're definitely in the moment when you're in the moment and you're working with the information you have, and um, and and that's tough all by itself. But but I'll again reiterate that that you know cutting off things is well beyond. <laughs> is is well beyond the gray area there there's there is absolutely no excuse for that in my opinion um and then going back to you know killing creates you know it was kind of interesting definitely in my time you know the folks who probably end up getting the most kills if you will having to engage and eliminate the enemy the most often would have been folks from our sniper section just because of the way we set up right so, you know, you're, you're, you know, the sniper, the sniper section folks are usually leading out when we set up on a target, on an objective, they're usually getting an advantageous position to be able to look in and observe and, and they would be the first ones to see, you know, walking in and around the objective area, any enemy. And, you know, I think it's, this is not a TTP, it's pretty clear that, you know, whenever you go to, to action the objective, like you're going to eliminate the threats that, that are available. And, and the snipers are in the, the position to do that. And so I, I was always, I was, never in, I was never a sniper. I was never in the sniper section. I was always surprised by those folks. Or I, or I always wondered what it was like to be them, you know, because, you know, like I said, nine to, 99 times out of 100, you know, an, an assaulter is going into is going into an objective, and then it's pretty quiet. It's fine. Um, you're not taking contact. You grab the person you're looking for, and everything's all right. 
for those times when you do make contact, those snipers are usually in a position where they're taking those shots. They're taking most of them. Um, so, you know, I've met, I met guys who, who had multiple, multiple enemy KIA, you know, to their name. Um, confirmed kills not being a real thing, but like guys you knew, like, you know, they'd, right. they'd had their fair share. And I always wondered how that weighed on them. I think mm -hmm. in those cases, it's more often now, I can't say it. I don't know. So I'm not going to say it was more clear cut, but it's sort of a unique situation. They have, you know, magnified optics and, um, and I think it's much more personal than on the end of a rifle, you know, across the room. So, but, um, yeah, other more, more folks who, who have to grapple with, with, to your point in, in that case, even if, it, even if they're good shoots, that's, that's got a way on them to have so many. Right. Um, but, but in, in on TV and books and everything like that's, you know, Chris Kyle's, you know, Chris Kyle's book was mentioned in, in, um, in, um, code over country, you know, we, we, as a society, we, we laud those with the high numbers, you know, they killed right. you know, X amount of, uh, but I don't know that I would want to be the person who bears that burden. And I don't know if I could, and I don't know what that does to you to know that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So all this is pretty weighty stuff that we're getting, that we're kind of digging into. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I, I, I think just wrapping up the book, um, I, I want to finish with like a, kind of a summary statement. Uh, and uh, Patrick, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Maybe I'll throw in a couple. So the most disciplined class of warriors, not just Team 6 and the Navy SEALs as a whole, but the larger special operations community seem to be showing signs of an internal crisis, the effects of two decades of violence and war. The case also shined a spotlight on how broken or just how broken the SEALs were by 2017. And we've, we've seen some of that. Uh, Patrick and I have looked at video footage of some, some really high level operators who were just, they're a wreck. I mean, they're just emotionally a wreck. Matthews, for instance, was a typical mid-career SEAL. By the time he was charged, he had served 15 years in the Navy, eight combat deployments. His lawyers would later submit medical records showing a typical combination of physical and psychological afflictions. And this is going to get into operator syndrome, post-traumatic stress disorder, traumatic brain injury, spinal compression, sleep disorder, hearing loss. And here we go with kind of yeah, I'm trying to kind of bring it full circle into why we're calling this operator syndrome. Um, yeah, I, it, 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 we're entering a new interesting phase of, of, of sort of life. We're, we're, we're pretty much out of the Middle East. Uh, we're out of Afghanistan. Um, and now, you know, other, other dynamics are happening, but it's just like we've got two decades, uh, basically a generation of of soldiers and sailors who are really hurting and um and so in future episodes what we're going to have an eye toward is like you know and and i don't i don't know where these are all going to come from they're certainly not out of my own head but reading papers reading books reading talking with one another in dialogue and maybe even future special operators that we know you know coming on 
who who knows who knows where it'll go uh, to just try to sort out okay so we're all on the same side i mean that's my takeaway at the end of the day how can we a be better at limiting atrocities how can we be healthier as a nation and how can we help these guys who are hurting so bad to heal um, those are the questions there that kind of keep me up at night but i don't know if you have any concluding thoughts on that patrick that sounds right to me um a lot of folks have gone through a lot of things um have experienced moral injury for for even things that that they were they were they were clean on and um you know some folks probably did some things that they're not that, that hopefully they're not happy that they did uh, they were they regret them and uh you know no matter who they are or what they've done, you know, I think everyone hopes for, for peace for that person that they can find peace and that they can, that they're able to move on and, 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 and be productive and be happy because they, they sure went through a lot of stuff and I think they deserve that. Yeah. I mean, they're heroes Uh, on, on, on one level, you can't take, you know, never deprive. And, and like you said, happiness is the goal. We just want to, you know, have people content with themselves, not beating themselves up the rest of their life. You know, there's a time for forgiveness. I mean, maybe that's where the spiritual angle comes in. You've got to be able to forgive yourself um, before you can, you know, feel whole again. And, um, you know, you know, maybe, maybe some biblical characters come into the, to the fore, you know, Moses murdered an Egyptian and he was used by God, David, killed thousands of people i mean was used by god so uh it's not without hope that that we can all be whole and you know we're all we're all just uh walking bundles of contradiction i always say at the end of the day so nobody's got a lock on being better than anybody else absolutely not and and the first step is is being honest with yourself and with your team with your country so um so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, that's going to do it for this one. So uh, I think this will wrap up. This will wrap up our chat about code over country. So yeah. we're going to pick it back up in the next episode. We do um, with our story again. I think we're. I think we just left basic training. So we'll start. We'll start. We'll start <laughs> to get into. Uh, we'll start to get into the the more SEAL and uh, Ranger specific training, and then of course along the way tie it back to similar themes. So uh, that's it for today. Uh, Thanks for checking out Operator Syndrome, and we'll see you in the next one. Bye.